Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. The healthcare sector has gone through various waves of consolidation, with hospitals purchasing physician practices, and hospitals, physicians, and health insurers merging with each other. We're certainly in the midst of a consolidation wave right now. Two years ago, we published a paper that found that more than half of U.S. physicians and 72% of surveyed hospitals were affiliated with one of 637 health systems in 2018. More recently, some have estimated that the 10 largest health systems now control about a quarter of the healthcare market. Consolidation brings with it various opportunities for savings and efficiency, but it also concentrates market power and creates opportunities to raise prices. The effects of consolidation and integration is the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Vilsa Curto, Assistant Professor of Health Economics and Policy at Harvard University. Dr. Curto and colleagues published a paper in the May 2022 issue of Health Affairs assessing trends in vertical integration and joint contracting between physicians and hospitals in Massachusetts and exploring the effects on prices for physician services. They found notable price effects that varied according to system size and physician type. We'll discuss these findings and more in today's episode. Dr. Curto, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much for having me today. This is a great topic, and it requires at least a brief introduction. If we're going to talk about consolidation, we need to differentiate between horizontal and vertical, and we need to understand these the trends in these areas. I don't want you to give a whole course lecture on this topic, but just say a little bit about what vertical and horizontal integration are, why you focused on vertical, where we are, and then we'll get into the paper. So vertical integration usually refers to a merger between two firms that do not operate in the same product market. Um, And so horizontal integration would refer to firms that are operating in the same product market. So in the context of healthcare providers, which is what we are looking at in our study, an example of horizontal integration would be a merger between two hospitals, whereas an example of vertical integration would be a merger between uh, a hospital or a health system and a, a physician practice. That's a great, quick explanation. I appreciate it. And give us a sense, because you're obviously studying this topic, where are we in terms of recent trends around particularly the vertical integration, which is the focus of your paper? Yeah, absolutely. So it is a little bit hard to say something definitive about the recent trends, just because there is no national or centralized source of information that's actually uh, documenting all of these uh, mergers or hospital acquisitions of physician practices. However, um, I would say most of the evidence we have strongly suggests that there has been uh, a rise in the prevalence of both horizontal and vertical integration in recent years. So, for example, in terms of horizontal integration, there's some really excellent work by Zap. Zach Cooper and his colleagues showing that there have been uh, thousands of hospital mergers in the U.S. over the past two decades and that uh, hospital market concentration 
uh, seems to be an important driver of rising healthcare costs. Um, so one contribution of our paper is to actually document these trends in vertical integration uh, in Massachusetts. And what we find is that during the time period we study, which is 2013 through 2017, the share of physicians who were vertically integrated or affiliated with a health system rose from about 69% to 78%. So certainly there's a good amount of evidence suggesting that uh, this type of vertical integration is rising and uh, that could have important consequences in terms of uh, higher healthcare prices or uh, other implications for patient care. So the standard narrative around vertical integration sort of as I listen to it has these two sides to it. On the on the clinical side, there's this notion that Patients want to have one-stop shop. They want to have, uh, clinicians need to have access to all the information f- about a patient, regardless of where they receive their care. Uh, we, we want a team and teams are in different places. Um, and so that kind of integration has clinical benefits, but, or at least it has the potential of creating clinical benefits. But then we get to this whole economic side um, where in theory, you could have some benefits associated with savings and, you know, efficiencies, but also the market power issue and the funneling of patients. So since your paper focuses on the economic side of this, talk to me a little bit about what is leading to this integration, what we know about the causes of it, and then let's get into some of the effects that you found. Yeah, I think that the the trade-offs that you raised are exactly the challenge in in regulating vertical mergers. And I think that's why this area has been uh, really challenging. So in the case of something like horizontal integration, that has a much clearer direct effect on uh, market concentration. And so there, uh, it's much clearer that we would expect to see uh, a rise in healthcare prices in cases where we see, for example, hospital mergers. In the case of vertical integration, uh, it's much less clear what the effects would be. So on the one hand, there can be these market power effects where we might see essentially a health system or a hospital uh, be able to transfer some of its market power and negotiate higher prices on behalf of a physician practice that it's acquiring. So on the one hand, there are those sort of direct market power implications. But on the other hand, as you said, one of the key rationales uh, for vertical integration is that it has the potential to create these integrated health systems that could uh, that could result in efficiency gains, in lower costs. It could help providers adopt uh, common electronic health record systems that could be really beneficial in terms of uh, coordinating patient care and improving patient outcomes. So it it has sort of this enormous potential to unleash this more coordinated and integrated healthcare that uh, many people would like to see. Um, but on the other hand, it, it has that trade-off, those trade-offs in terms of market power. Um, in terms of what's contributing to the rise in vertical integration in uh, more recent years, uh, there so there are various factors that could contribute to this rise in vertical integration. So one is that 
there may just be uh, a more competitive landscape among healthcare providers, and they may simply be feeling greater financial pressures. Uh, that could be an impetus for vertical integration. Uh, there's also been more recently the formation of accountable care organizations uh, as a result of the Affordable Care Act. That could have also triggered additional vertical integration. Uh, so there may be forces like that uh, contributing to the rise in recent years. Okay, so we've done a long windup, but it's time to get into what you found. Um, talk to us about what the price implications are of the vertical integration and alignment. Uh, so our paper has a couple of key findings. So our first key finding is that vertical integration between physicians and health systems leads to higher outpatient commercial physician prices. And the size of that price increase uh, is higher if the physician becomes vertically integrated with a relatively larger health system. And we, uh, we characterize large health systems in terms of the, uh, the market share of the hospitals that are associated or owned by that health system. Um, and so one important aspect of our methodology that I'll note is just that um, we aren't simply comparing physicians who are vertically integrated to those who are not vertically integrated. So if we did that simple comparison, then there, there are many differences between physicians who are vertically integrated and those who are not. And so there would be various confounders uh, and that would contribute to differences in prices between those groups that have nothing to do with vertical integration. So one innovation in this paper is that uh, because we have panel data on physicians in Massachusetts, we're able to focus on physician transitions. Uh, and so essentially this means that we see the same physicians when they are independent, uh, as well as when they are part of a large health system. And so when we estimate our price effects, we're using an empirical model that means we're essentially estimating an average change in prices uh, where we're only comparing prices for that same physician uh, when they are uh, independent versus part of a, a large health system. So using this empirical strategy, we find that when a primary care physician vertically integrates with a large health system, this leads to a 12.0% increase in outpatient commercial physician prices. And when a specialist physician integrates with a large health system, this leads to a 6.0% increase in outpatient commercial physician prices. Well, those are pretty big price effects, and I think we need to try to understand the implications of those. We'll dig a little deeper into that after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Vilsa Curto about the effects of vertical integration and joint contracting between physicians and hospitals. Before we took a break, uh, we heard some pretty big numbers, 12 plus percent price increases for outpatient services when a uh, physician becomes part of a large system. One thing that was notable about the data you uh, presented at the outset is uh, that the numbers are bigger for primary care than for specialty care, and they're bigger for large systems than for small systems. I wonder if you could just say a little bit about the those two dynamics to give us a sense of why those uh, might have been the results. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of potential price gains, uh, our findings suggest that the primary care physicians are able to raise their prices by about tw twice as much as the specialists, at least uh, in our setting and for our time period. And so, um, so that that is a relatively large difference in terms of the impact of vertical integration. So in terms of why that is, we think that it has to do with the some of the underlying mechanisms that might explain why we would expect vertical integration to lead to an increase in prices. So in, in the commercial market, uh, so these prices are being set as a result of negotiations that are happening between healthcare providers uh, and uh, insurers. There has been a lot of uh, really excellent work documenting the fact that these prices are very much affected by healthcare providers' uh, market power. And so this suggests that when we're thinking about the potential effects of vertical integration for primary care physicians and specialists, uh, we would expect these effects to largely depend on basically the gain in market power that these physicians are uh, obtaining as a result of this vertical integration. Uh, and so in essence, what we think is happening is that um, prior to the vertical integration taking place, these physicians are negotiating payment rates with, uh, with payers uh, by themselves. And then after the integration takes place, the health system is negotiating these payment rates uh, on behalf of these physician practices. And so what we're finding suggests that this uh, increase in prices is larger for the primary care physicians, and that's probably uh, a result of the fact that they're seeing a, a larger gain in market power as a result of having the large health system negotiate prices on their behalf. Earlier on, you mentioned that during this study period, the percentage of aligned physicians went from in the 60s to the 70s percent. We're not talking about going from 10 to 20 or 10 to 80 um, there's a longstanding debate actually in the economy writ large, but we can certainly focus on healthcare here about the ability of competition to hold prices down. I mean, in most markets, we sort of say, look, you know, let's have some competitive buyers, some, some competition among sellers and, and lo and behold, it'll all kind of work out. I'd love to get your sense of whether we think there is a viable competition-based strategy with respect to physician prices, or are we just sort of stuck in a world of, of, of things going up because there just can't really ever be a market here? Yeah, I think it's a really important question, which is essentially, you know, what are the gains that we are getting from the role of competition uh, in the U.S. healthcare system more broadly, but more specifically uh, in terms of uh, setting commercial commercial prices. I do think that competition can have it can have a valuable role in certain parts of the U.S. healthcare system. So, for example, there are some large public health insurance programs like Medicare and Medicaid, where um, we see that many of the health benefits are now being provided by private managed healthcare plans that are competing with one another. That's an example of competition among health insurers. Uh, where there might be some sort of value in terms of delivering lower prices or at least expanded benefits 
uh, for patients. Um, I think the type of competition we see uh, in this specific context that's relevant for this paper is very different. So what I mentioned earlier was that commercial prices are being determined by this incredibly opaque process where healthcare providers are negotiating prices with individual insurers. And in principle, these insurers can act as these informed agents who could negotiate lower prices with these healthcare providers on behalf of employers or patients or other uh, ultimate ultimately the consumers of healthcare or or patients. Uh, But I think there's been a lot of recent work showing that, first of all, these prices are extremely high, (laughs) and um, at least compared to Medicare prices, and that there is enormous variation in the prices that are paid by different insurers, even at the same hospital or even with the same healthcare provider. Uh, and that also, as Zach Cooper and his colleagues have shown, hospital prices are strongly linked to hospital market power. Um, and so I think our study ties into this area because we are essentially finding that physician integration uh, with large health systems leads to higher prices. And so this suggests that this concentration of market power in the hospital sector is also spilling over into the physician market, at least in the case of this type of physician-hospital vertical integration. Uh, So in a typical competitive market, you would hope that prices would mainly be a reflection of underlying costs, and the idea is that firms would compete and they would lower their prices and get closer and closer to those underlying costs. On the other hand, I think that in the markets that are being used to determine commercial prices, We have this price setting mechanism that involves these negotiations between healthcare providers and insurers. And in that case, the prices seem to reflect the relative market power of those two entities who are part of the negotiation. And there's no close tie between those prices and the underlying costs. And so Uh, And so in terms of how competition is being used to determine these prices, I'm not particularly optimistic because there's no real reason why this type of price setting mechanism would serve to uh, hold down prices. So given the push in the health sector to create these vertical alignments uh, for clinical and patient continuity reasons, as well as economic reasons, It sounds to me like you're skeptical that even if we had sort of aggressive review of these kinds of arrangements, if if we could even have good data on them or tried to unwind them, which seems like a problematic approach, uh, that, that that would actually benefit anyone. So are we just sort of stuck in this world where we're going to go from 60 something to 70 something to basically in... In most markets, we're going to find the vast majority of physicians uh, aligned with health systems. They'll become sort of a few to choose from. The insurers will, there'll be a few of those. They'll be kind of in this, you know, big on big battle to try to uh, keep costs under control. And, but if they fail, you know, we just all pay for it. Is that, is that kind of where we are? I think there there are a couple of, difficulties with uh, with this particular question of 
you know, what we would expect the longer term effects of this type of vertical integration to be. So I do think that there is still a relatively compelling story behind the push uh, toward vertical integration. So in particular, there are these really fascinating examples out there of fully vertically integrated health systems like Kaiser Permanente or Intermountain Healthcare or organizations like that. Um, so I think there's limited causal evidence on this, but there's also a lot of suggestive evidence that these health systems report a high degree of patient satisfaction and also seem to be relatively efficient and um, relatively good at providing high quality care. So I think this just begs the question of whether it makes sense to promote the formation of these types of vertically integrated health systems in other areas as well. Um, so it's attractive to think that maybe we could promote the formation of a bunch of sort of mini Kaiser-like organizations across the country. Um, but I think the difficulty is that it's not clear whether those types of organizations can be replicated elsewhere or whether the type of integration that we're seeing uh, is actually going to accomplish replicating those types of organizations. So I do think that every every merger is different and every merger needs to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. So I think that there are models for where local oversight can be really valuable. So for example, one thing that's interesting about the Massachusetts setting that we're looking at is that Massachusetts had a healthcare reform law passed in 2012 that included various provisions that were explicitly targeted at controlling rising healthcare costs. And one of those provisions was the creation of this uh, independent commission called the Massachusetts Health Policy Commission. So they are actually able to review proposed mergers between physician groups and health systems. And even though they don't have the authority to actually reject mergers, they do issue these cost and impact reviews of proposed mergers, and those reviews appear to be relatively influential. So there are several anecdotes of proposed mergers that ultimately ended up um, not happening uh, because of an unfavorable um, cost and impact review. So I think that that type of local oversight can be really valuable at the state um, health policy level. So as we come to a close, I what I'm hearing is a cautionary tale, but I want to read the tale a little bit back to you and see if you think I'm getting it right. Uh, you study Massachusetts because there are better data than there are available in most settings. You find a significant price effect, even though there is this overarching uh, state statute and regulatory structure designed to keep cost growth under control. So even in a setting with sort of two ingredients that you think might be constraining, we still see 6 12% cost growth. The cautionary tale I'm hearing is in the right circumstances, it's certainly possible that vertical integration has clinical benefits for patients and can uh, lead to, if there's appropriate oversight, can can be a, a good investment, if you will, or a good use of resources. But in the absence of any of those structures, we kind of don't know if this is good for patients, do we? Yeah, I think I think that's a relatively fair 
characterization of the evidence and of what we're finding uh, in our study. So I think that there has been, uh, as we were discussing before, the challenge with regulating vertical mergers is that even though there are these potential price increases, there are also these potential clinical benefits uh, on the other side of the ledger. And so um, what you would ideally want to do is is evaluate mergers on a case-by-case basis and see, you know, whether those potential benefits could outweigh those costs to patients in terms of, of price increases. I think what we're finding in our study is uh, we're finding these substantial price increases and these trends toward greater vertical integration, even in a setting like Massachusetts, where, as you said, there's uh, much more oversight than is typical in many other states. Uh, and so I, and our findings are entirely consistent with um, several previous studies that have examined effects of physician hospital vertical integration on both physician prices and hospital prices. So in that sense, I think there's a pretty substantial literature finding these types of price effects. And there's, you know, then the question is, are there clinical benefits or other benefits for patients that might justify or offset these price increases? There have been very few studies that examine effects of physician hospital vertical integration on quality of care or coordination of care or other processes that we think might lead to improved health outcomes for patients. So I think there's a huge gap in the empirical literature and there's a real lack of empirical evidence on that um, that side. So I think it's it's difficult to evaluate whether those benefits are there just because uh, it's been much more difficult to study those questions mainly due to a lack of um, the right data to uh, to be able to look at those types of processes of care or 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 coordination of care measures. So to me, that's the big kind of open question here is whether those those benefits might be there in uh, in the case of certain mergers. But I do think that given that there has been so much evidence of price increases, that perhaps there should be sort of a healthy skepticism of these types of mergers and more of an onus on the part of the parties proposing a merger to to demonstrate that there is this type of clinical benefit. Well, I think you pull those threads together very nicely. Uh, We're in an environment where there's so much price pressure for consumers. There's such a need for better clinical integration. You, in your work with your colleagues, are adding to what is unfortunately a disappointingly thin evidence base about the trade-off between those or the alignment of those. Um, Dr. Curto, thank you so much for being my guest today on Health Policy. Thank you so much, Alan. It was an absolute uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.